Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Coming Together, a series on understanding the social dynamics of Singapore and facilitating dialogue between locals and foreigners on various topics from current affairs to social norms. Uh, this series is in collaboration with the WhiteHatters.sg, a local NGO that seeks to foster greater understanding and integration between the various communities in Singapore. Uh, my name is Rindo, and today's episode is What Do Foreigners Need to Know? Now, this time, it's just going to be us foreigners here. And I thought it'd be very interesting for us to just, you know, share stories and experiences and, you know, get our take on things. So um, I'm sure everybody knows, uh, you know, fellow uh, collaborator, Melissa Fitzgerald. Um, hi, Melissa. Hello. <laughs> nice to see you. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Today we also have a uh, special guest, um, and her name is Amanda Un. Um, how about uh, a, a quick introduction from you, Amanda? Hi, Rindo. Hi, Melissa. Um, thanks very much for that introduction, Rindo, and thank you very much to both of you for having me today. It's a great honour. Um, I'm Amanda. Um, I am a Brit. I am originally from London, moved to Singapore about two years ago, uh, but my mum actually grew up in Holland Village locally. So I'm a foreigner, but sort of a foreigner coming home. Nice. Thanks. Thanks for joining, Amanda. Um, so um, as you know, we've been having a lot of conversations around um, social cohesion as part of this series. And, you know, one of the things that has been that has been brought up recently over the last couple of years or so is about the presence of foreigners, um, as I'm sure you've heard. Um, so I'm just like really curious, especially as someone who has been living here for a decade. So I moved from India to here in like 2011 and, you know, uh, you know, found friends, found love and I've been here ever since. Um, and so it's been interesting for me to see, you know, a, a perceptible shift from what it used to be in 2011 to what it's like right now. Obviously, uh, the pandemic has played a big part in, in that shift in sentiment, but uh, I'm just curious to hear your takes and your experiences. So um, as a start, uh, folks, uh, you know, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, your story here in Singapore, um, Melissa, Amanda? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just to reiterate, so um, my name is Melissa. So I'm a writer and my day job is a content manager. I'm an American, but I've been here three years. And please don't hold that against me that I'm American. Um, <laughs> but I write about topics ranging from lifestyle, pop, popular culture, energy news to racism. Um, so my journey here, I was in San Francisco for 10 years. I've always lived in California. I've never actually been to another country to live. So this is my first like experience uh, moving abroad and being an expat and what have you. Um, and it all has been really, really interesting, just the whole experience. And I will say it's been so rewarding and I really love living here. Um, but my experience and like first impressions of when you moved to Singapore was really interesting. So I came here from San Francisco, as I said, and everything was just so clean and pristine. And I had heard that before I came here, but I just didn't realize the level of how clean it would be for the most part. Um, like for instance, I went to the botanical gardens. I literally saw a gardener pick off like brown leaves from a tree to make sure that it was like aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> and I was just like, you would never see this anywhere in the States. I'm, I'm positive of this. Um, so it's beautiful. So um, that was kind of something that I noticed when I was here. Um, I also noticed just people were really, really nice and wholesome and, and lovely. I remember um, one of the first stories I told friends back home is I saw somebody leaving a coffee shop and they, um, I guess, didn't bring their phone and somebody like ran after them to like say, hey, no, sir, like, here's your phone. Again, I'm, I'm sure that would happen maybe sometimes in San Francisco, but that's definitely not the norm. Um, so that's kind of been my experience to where I'm like, wow, this is just such a lovely, like really hospitality kind of like based kind of country, which I really appreciate. Um, Actually, when I told one of my Singaporean friends, though, that I felt that everybody was wholesome here that lived here, he like laughed and he's like, you're not <laughs> hanging in the right crowds or you're not hanging in my crowd. <laughs> he was like, no, 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 there's definitely some like not so wholesome aspects of Singapore, but I've really yet to find it. Um, well, I kind of agree yeah. with you, Melissa, in that initial appraisal is something that I shared, too, because it's like um, I remember like losing, you know, cards, losing phones, losing wallets mm. and these things would invariably find their way to me like somebody would call a couple of days later saying that hey i found your wallet and it's like and you know 
sometimes I was baffled by that honesty. I mean, it's, I think, I guess I grew up like in a very cynical uh, time and place. And so that was like very refreshing. So yeah, no, I, I remember those bits. <laughs> Same here, same here. I lost my phone and the grab driver like immediately brought it back. He's just like, I'm so sorry. I usually always check. I was like, it's, it's my fault. <laughs> it's nothing to do with you. Like, it was just so sweet. And we had like a five minute conversation. He was like a lovely older gentleman, uncle. Um, yeah, he was so great though. I was just like, oh, I love these people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree with Melissa. That was definitely something when I moved here two years ago. Um, that I was really struck by. You know, you arrive and everything is very clean, everything is very safe, um, everything is very wholesome. And I really like the use of that word. I think that it really sort of shows the side of Singapore that, um, you know, that everyone's very welcoming. Um, I think I was sort of expecting that um, before I arrived. I think there is that image of Singapore as this very sort of clean, sanitized city-state um, and that makes expat living very convenient and I think that's one of the reasons why um, it's certainly been one of the most popular destinations for expats um, coming from the West, certainly from the UK. Um, I think something I didn't expect um, moving here from South London um, is that there is also this amazing, sort of slightly grittier side to it. Um, and that was something that was really exciting for me, you know, to explore. Um, there's an incredible budding sort of art scene. Um, there's really exciting sort of creative uh, industries emerging. You go to Ju Chiat and you can learn all sorts of new arts and crafts. Um, you know, they're really working to sort of nourish this sort of budding creativity. Um, and it's a little bit raw, well, it's a little bit messy. Um, it's not necessarily what I would have expected from these images of, you know, the high rise buildings on Orchard Road. Um, but it's been really exciting to see that side of it as well. Um, and I think going on from that, you know, I moved in October 2019. Um, so about two, three months after we moved, you know, the pandemic started really changing things. And again, that was a really interesting opportunity to see a different side of Singapore. Um, you know, that incredible grassy area just in front of, um, you know, MBS around the bay. Um, it, I talk to people and it's, it's a common image now of how, you know, that grass just suddenly started overgrowing for the first time in, you know, certainly um, before any of my Singaporean friends could remember um, during the first circuit breaker. Um, yeah. And again, that was a messier side of Singapore. It was a more organic and raw side of Singapore that we were all shown. Um, and it was really interesting. And I think it was actually quite, it was quite unique and it was quite special, I think. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. Um, so I live in one of those neighborhoods. Um, so I live in Geelong, so it's oh, widely amazing. considered the 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 uh, red light district. Yeah, but of course, it's it's a very vibrant neighborhood, and you know, I I will defend it to the death. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, no. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on over here, and it doesn't necessarily fit into like you know perceived notions of what Singapore is, um, especially for someone who's like you know coming here for the first time or someone who has just seen Crazy Rich Asians once, and they're like, oh, that's what Singapore is. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that was in my notes to talk about, by the way. <laughs> awesome. Went straight for it. <laughs> yeah. No, fun, a fun fact about Crazy Rich Asians. So it's like, I think when it just came out, I mean, it was a big deal here and you know, everybody's excited about it. But of course, you know, there's a lot of commentary and stuff. But then there was a huge jump in people like wanting to come to Singapore and stuff. So at the time, there was this colleague from the U.S. that I was showing around town. And he was like, uh, Rindo, like, you, you, I need to see every single one of the landmarks that was shown in the movie, you know, so that I can take a picture for my wife. And I was like, oh, God, OK, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Too far. <laughs> but yeah, it, it massively boosted like the visibility of, of you know, the country. So <laughs> no, but that that is actually super interesting. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's, I, I do remember a lot of those things, too. So it's like, you know, the initial impressions of, oh, this is like, you know, a city that's, you know, clean, that, that functions well, that's really nice. And people are not, you know, the, the cynical, um, oh, I can't swear here, but, you know, <laughs> all the cynical <laughs> folks that they are, <laughs> um, especially where I come from. But, you know, that was interesting. Although I have to say, since, uh, you know, Amanda, you were talking about how you arrived, like, just a couple of days, you know, before all hell broke loose. Um, like, how did you feel about, you know, that that shift? 
Um, it's a really good question. Uh, I think at the time we we didn't really process it, if that makes sense. I think when something so unprecedented and unexpected as this global pandemic happens, um, you the first thing you think is not necessarily how is this affecting my expat experience in Singapore. I think globally, certainly at the beginning of 2020, everyone was just thinking, how do we get through these next few months? Um, definitely almost two years on. Um, I think, you know, there's definitely more scope for looking back for, for reflection um, as a wider whole. And I think it's two-sided. I think on one hand, there is a certain element of perhaps sadness that there are things that, you know, we haven't been able to experience. Um, and, you know, I talked about this incredible sort of budding cultural scene in Singapore. Um, you know, I've talked to Singaporean friends about these incredible gigs or live music, stand-up comedy um, that they've been to see, um, all sorts of things that um, I, I love and, you know, love to do in London. And it saddened me that it kind of surprised me that there was that richer landscape in Singapore just because we hadn't had the chance to experience it as fully as we would have pre-pandemic. Um, there is, of course, this other reputation of Singapore as being this great hub for traveling to other countries in Southeast Asia. Um, so again, there is that. Um, but I think that that's actually worked out in one way quite nicely um, because we haven't been able to use Singapore as a base for leaving Singapore and <laughs> visiting other countries. I think that we've really sort of been pushed to explore it in more depth um, than perhaps we would have otherwise. Oh, interesting point. No, that's actually a, a fair point. Uh, I've always thought of Singapore as, I mean, like, you know, this is a general perception is that, you know, Singapore has this fantastic airport. Uh, you know, the rest of Southeast Asia is like the, the hinterland of Singapore, so to speak. So, um, you know, it's, it's, that, that's always been like something that we think of uh, when we talk about like weekend trips to Thailand or weekend trips to, you know, wherever in Southeast Asia. It's just like such a, a normal thing to do. And now we're like, oh, okay then. <laughs> we should not have taken that for granted. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. Um, I will say my friends back home literally think that um, we just are all on vacation here permanently. I'm like, no, like I, I do work. I have a job. <laughs> what you see on my social is not real life. Like, for instance, I literally am sitting, my usual area is literally on the floor. That's usually where my little desk is because we can't work <laughs> from the office. So like that aspect of things, I'm sure like, I don't know, it definitely really kind of changed the way I thought about office life. Um, but like you have to adapt, right? And that's what we've had to have done. Like when I first started my job, uh, my current job beyond this, obviously the freelance, I hadn't actually met my coworkers for four months because we were still on unable, not lockdown really, but just unable to go to the workplace together. And even now there are really strict rules and what have you. So I think that that really kind of affected just how, you know, working together, knowing your colleagues, also, you know, kind of being in the bigger scope of like and woven into the tapestry of the society here because you really aren't with, you know, the rest of your colleagues who are from all different parts of the world, but also Singaporean. Um, so that really changed things. Um, but yeah, I think the mindset of, you know, how we live over here, it really is like the crazy rich Asians because we are jetting off to, you know, different, you know, countries and what have you. That's what people think, right? Um, the reality is a bit different. Um, and then also the, the wealth disparity, which I'm sure we'll get into, is very different here as well, which I think really isn't um, something, something that you think about when you think of Singapore. It definitely wasn't what I thought about at all. But then you start to see kind of a little more as you, you know, see migrant workers napping on the floor because that's all they can do because they're up really early or, you know, working way late. I remember this was something that struck me when I first moved here is construction workers working till like 11 p.m., 1 a.m. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I was just like, whoa, what? Why are they working so late? When are they starting? Maybe they start later, but still, it's just uh, doesn't really seem like the best kind of working conditions, I guess. Um, so that was something I noticed. Yeah, no, that's actually a really um, disturbing aspect of, you know, um, of, of Singapore and I, I try not to judge, but the thing is, it's it's really hard not to. 
Um, so just for context, I used to work in the construction industry uh, for, for a couple of years. And, you know, you get to see this on a regular basis. And, you know, and this, I mean, exploitation is probably the only way to describe it. Yeah. It's it's uh, you, you, it's it can't be sugarcoated, and like I, I remember, there was a lot of denial, a lot of like you know trying to explain this in a nicer way and stuff like that. And then what the pandemic has shown is that yeah, this is this is real. This is um, yeah, I, I don't know how to even describe it. It's it's uh, it's deeply shameful. But was that like a culture shock for you, Melissa? Absolutely. I think when I first arrived, when I saw migrant workers in the back of trucks without seatbelts, not being properly kind of like taken care of or having the right things that they should have just to be safe when they're you know going to and from work. I think that at first I was like, whoa, that's kind of different. Like I haven't seen that in about 30 years. Like I think it's been a law in the States for you know at least 20 years. Anyhow, so that was like one thing that I kind of just shrugged it off at the time. But then, of course, when the pandemic pandemic happened, we kind of saw what their living conditions were. We saw that, I mean, sometimes it's like 16 people to a room or they have like day and night shifts, like all of these things that I think weren't really talked about before at all, or it just wasn't, you know, nobody knew. Now it was on a global stage, right? Where like they're all sharing one bathroom on one floor, which is, again, that's just inhumane. Um, So I think all of that kind of shook me a little bit where I was just like, oh, okay, I didn't really realize that we, as being such a wealthy country, that we would have the potential to, you know, still have these kind of problems and social issues, like the states we do, but, and we also have our own problems over there, and we're definitely not better than the one, but the other, but it just, I wasn't expecting that, I guess, at all. Yeah, I think, same as Melissa, that was something, again, that was a real culture shock to me seeing that different side um, of Singapore. And we mentioned Crazy Rich Asians and, you know, I absolutely love that film. Um, but it's interesting, isn't Same. it? Like, obviously, that is something <laughs> that it's, it is not at all portrayed. Um, and I was with a friend the other day and she'd actually seen Crazy Rich Asians for the first time. Um, and I was like, wow, OK, late to the game. <laughs> but um, <laughs> she said um, it presents such a romanticized ideal of Singapore. Um, And with regards to sort of the wealth disparity, um, yeah, absolutely. And I think movies like that really just sort of emphasize it, certainly for people living here who see it on the ground, um, you know, pun intended. And it's, it's, it was really brought to light in the pandemic. And I completely agree with what you said, Rinda. I think it, it, really brought that to the global stage and while on one hand it was shocking and immensely saddening to see it also I think one silver lining of the pandemic was you know that did make global media it didn't just make the Singaporean media Um, it sort of got that dark underbelly of Singapore if you will um, out into the world a little bit Um, And as Melissa said, this is not, you know, saying that other countries don't have their own problems as well. This is not a case of saying, you know, one country is better than than any other. But um, I I think it is important when you are talking about a wider or foreigner's perspective of any place that you get both sides um, and that Singapore is not this sort of idyll, you know, this, this expat playground if you will. Um, And I do actually think, you know, I mean, movies aside and people abroad aside, I actually think if you are living here as a foreigner, as an expat, you know, it is possible to put your head in the sand a little bit. Um, Listen, I've spoken about, you know, the things that we noticed, you've spoken about, for example, and it was one of the first things that struck me as well, those trucks, you know, those awful trucks with no seatbelts that are also used to carry pallets of supplies of food. Um, but if you don't want to notice that sort of thing, it's very easy to hide yourself in Sentosa Cove, where yeah. streets are literally privatized um, and never see anything like that. Um, so I think, again, you know, we talk about foreigners' experience. I think also foreigners here, our expats here, have a certain element of choice, I guess. We do have that luxury um, of not noticing these things. Mm-hmm. 
No, that's actually a really good point. I mean, like uh, this, uh, so the notion of the expat playground, right? I mean, so there's a lot of commentary about it recently, but then I do recall in like in the early uh, 2010s and like, you know, the late 2000s even, like the idea of a lot of Southeast Asian countries being an expat haven of sorts, you know, it's like... Uh, it's an amazing place to live in, you know, all these like new and novel things, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in a previous podcast, uh, you know, Melissa talked about learning the term um, Asia light for the first time. Right. So and I think that's a term that's been used a lot in the context of Singapore as, oh, this is like it's an amazing, easy place, you know, for, for expats to live in. I think that kind of, those kind of notions are kind of uh, getting a bit of flack recently, you know, because it's uh, it's kind of highlighting a certain privilege that expats have. Um, it's highlighting the the notion that in expats are living affluent and privileged lives, um, especially uh, you know in a time when there's, there's a lot of wealth disparity, even pre-pandemic, and you know locals a lot of like struggling with the notion that you know expats find this amazing um, experience living in Singapore, whereas they have to struggle with you know the mundanities of um, their lives so uh, you know so there's a lot of anger and resentment and i have seen this over the years so i'm just like curious about your takes on this like um um you know especially like living here for a while as an expat like have you sensed the uh the local foreigner divide uh when you first moved here or do you do you sense it or is it just me being paranoid and reading too much into things <laughs> I mean, you read Mothership, right? So no, it's not. <laughs> it's not, not just reading too much into things. <laughs> uh, we should have cut that off the episode. It's okay. Um, you know, we should talk about it. But you know what's funny? I think that initially when I moved here, I, I again, just didn't see any of that. I, don't, I think it existed, but I think it existed in maybe just a community that I wasn't maybe completely in yet, right? So... And even with my Singaporean colleagues, like when I first moved here, I only had a job with only Singaporeans, which I thought was like so awesome because I got to learn so much about the culture. It was a really unique experience, I guess, comparative to a lot of other expats that I've spoken to. But that being said, I think that the pandemic really kind of opened up the opportunity. I think everyone was just unhappy, for one. It was a really scary time. And I think that seeing people that already are perceived to perhaps have more than others or more, whatever it may be, other opportunities perhaps that they, they think that they may have that maybe they really don't. We, you know, it's neither here nor there, but if you're perceived that way, perception is reality. And that's what happened there. I think that people just saw what they, what they saw and like decided snap decision. They don't deserve to be here. They don't follow the laws. Like this is completely why we shouldn't have expats here. And when I've spoken to other people that are Singaporean that have kind of been very, you know, upfront with me with regards to why that they may have felt that way. Um, I thought it was interesting where one girl had said, one woman had said that um, another person who was a colleague was like, basically came in on this expat package. Like he didn't really have to work as hard. He took long lunches. He was from Germany, uh, supposedly. And not to put Germany people or German people on blast, but I think in general, like, some Europeans have a very different mindset of what work is like. When I came here, I thought, oh, I'm leaving America. I'm leaving like the rat race. Like it's going to be a little bit more chill when it comes to work. No, it's like the exact <laughs> same. <laughs> like I could, I could hack it. I'm fine. I've done it all my life. But I think Europeans coming here would be just like, what is this? Like working till 8, 9 p.m.? Absolutely not. Again, I'm not saying that Europeans can't work really hard, but like, <laughs> It's just a very different kind of mentality, right? So I think that like when you have this idea of what an expat is, their expat package, their privilege, all of that, and combine that with, well, why aren't they working as hard as we are? Why this, that, and the other? Um, well, maybe they're just taking like a shorter lunch and they're starting early, who knows? Like, it's just priorities, I think. Um, but we do, I think as expats, we do need to be con like cognizant of that and understand why people feel this way. My experience, I'll be very upfront, I make less here than I ever have <laughs> because I'm in media, because I'm in hospitality, or I was in hospitality. Um, and I think that that maybe isn't talked about enough. And I'm not sure if the expat packages are the same. Like based upon just speaking to my friends, I feel like they're not getting paid these crazy amounts of money. And if they are, it's probably like maybe 10% of the community as opposed to where everyone thinks it's like 100%. My numbers probably are off, but you know what I, I'm getting at here. I think that it, yeah. the perception is not the same as uh, what is reality and also our just the packages and our lifestyle isn't really the same in yeah, my so I think, destination. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Melissa. So I, at least uh, from what I've been reading, from what I understand, um, at the, the, the notion of expat packages have largely disappeared since the global financial crisis of 2008. Um, so we're talking about like maybe about 2 to 3% of expats in Singapore today um, are essentially on uh, expat packages. And we're talking about senior leadership and, you know, like right. people in really, really high level positions. Um, I think most folks are generally on, you know, uh, local salary terms, if, if, so, so to speak. Uh, not to say anything about uh, the other work passes, like those of the migrant workers and um, the foreign domestic workers who are um, considered a class of their own. And uh, I dare say, uh, it doesn't come under the local definition of expat, um, as, as weird as that sounds. Um, Actually, that was something really strange to me, too. Amanda, I'm not sure if you thought this as well, but like when I first moved here, I was like, well, what's the difference between an expat? There's a migrant worker. There's a foreigner. I'm, I'm so confused by all the terminologies. Like, I was just like, what? What is happening? <laughs> like, yeah, that confused me too. <laughs> immigrant? What happened to immigrant? I thought I'd be an immigrant. Like, I was just so confused. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a really tricky one. Because, um, so just for background, like, um, so I was born and raised in a country in the Middle East called Bahrain. And over there, it's like expat is, uh, the, the word expat is used for anyone who does not have a Bahraini passport. That's, that's all there is to it. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. that's pretty much it. And that's the definition that we grew up with. That's the definition with which, you know, we call ourselves, et cetera. Uh, you know, then moved to India, then, you know, then now here in Singapore. And uh, so since moving to Singapore, I, I, I find myself, like, reluctant to use the word expat, especially after, like, when I initially started, like, self-identifying as expat, I have had conversations where people are like, oh, are you an expat, really? And I think that the subtext is that, oh, but, but you know, you are not from a developed country, um, you know? And I think that's the subtext, although it's not, like, said out in the open just like that. I, I, just, I just started getting that feeling that, you know, if you are from a developed country, I think people are a lot more comfortable using the word um, expat versus if you are from, let's say, a country not as developed as Singapore, and then I think people would struggle with... Mm, does he deserve that term? You know, uh, but that's just my take. I don't know, um, Amanda, Melissa. Like, uh, have have you had these conversations about what makes an expat and what doesn't? Um, I've never had the conversations, um, so it's great to start them now. Actually, because um, <laughs> <laughs> it was um, it's something that, as Melissa said, I've wondered about, and I've been confused about. I feel like. Here, expat is very obviously very different from migrant worker, um, and then there's this third term which we're talking about foreigner, which I mean seems to encompass both, but again means something different altogether. Um, and I think just the implications of each of these three terms is really telling. Um, it's very interesting. It's what people don't say, I think, as much as what people say and I think there's also I guess this sense of impermanence I think when someone calls you an expat right there is this idea that you are you know you are here out of your home country mm -hmm. and at some point you know you're probably you're probably going home <laughs> um, and I think that that also maybe has colored the perception of you know, expats <laughs> Um, here in Singapore, again, you know, we talked about acceptance, we talked about um, cohesion. Um, and I do understand and I do sympathize. I think it is, it is harder to form bonds with someone um, if there is this underlying idea that they're only here in your country, really, to have a great time, use it as their playground and then leave to go back to Germany or wherever they came from. Um, so I think that, that that is interesting as well. Um, I've actually found, you know, living here, um, Singaporeans really welcoming. Um, I've never felt that there was this sort of unfriendliness. I think the only times where we've ever really questioned how much we welcome um, is very much sort of certain points during the pandemic, um, you know, mm -hmm. where there have been changes to say, particularly um, the dependence pass, you know, there have been changes to um, expat work visas. Um, and then, for example, you know, with the vaccinations, um, uh, expats and foreigners sort of being, being essentially shunted to the back of the line. And whatever your views on sort of whether that is fair or not, I think that that, that did, for the first time, send a certain message um, 
about sort of where or how foreigners and expats um, were, were viewed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, so I, uh, I've i been struggling with that too, uh, Amanda. So like, uh, just like you guys, like when I, when I first moved here, like welcoming place, you know, made friends. Most of my friends are Singaporean and, you know, it's it's been like a really fun uh, time of, you know, uh, it's not just fun. I mean, it's, it's like a lot of a period of character growth for me, uh, you know, just having to be exposed to different, you know, cultures and customs and just different uh, states of mind. So it's, just, it's been pretty interesting. But yes, you are right in that. Um, I think the last couple of years have really um, brought out um, like sentiments that have been like under the surface for quite some time. Um, and the the crazy part is that i understand where all of those sentiments come from you know it's 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 not like i think that those are not unjustified and that's the crazy part it's like i empathize Mm. but at the same time i'm conscious of the fact that i am the public enemy number one (laughs) (laughs) absolutely absolutely i feel the same (laughs) (laughs) but uh i mean look i think it's also one thing to note and i guess that's that's the uh the thing that a lot of my singaporean friends tell me is that it's not the kind of virulent um nativism that we see elsewhere so you, you don't have to like run the risk of having an empty bottle of beer thrown at your head um, like it has been happening elsewhere. So I, I, th- that is some comfort, I guess. But at the same time, I think it's worth <laughs> understanding whether, you know, it, it gets better or worse. Um, can I ask uh, you folks, uh, Melissa, Amanda, like, um, like, what are your thoughts on the general uh, sentiments of nativism in, in Singapore right now? I mean, I think after... The parliament speech that we had i think that that was really needed right i think that in general like unity is really important i think that ironically i came from a country that was going through a lot and still Mm -hmm. is going through a lot and coming here i thought oh like for some reason i just thought that oh it's going to be all you know harmony and you know daisies and rainbows it's going to be great racially it's going to be fine and it is for the most part um, to go back to what you guys were saying with, you know, have I experienced every, anything? Absolutely not. It's all just been online. It's been via the dependence pass, which is a challenge because my husband's here on, you know, the primary pass. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think going back to the parliament speech, I think it was needed. I think that we need to do a better job at being when it comes to government strategies and taking a stance against, you know, xenophobia. I think it's really important that we do that. And I'm glad that they have a lot of like these new things such as like women who are able to wear hijabs now um, in medical fields as a nurse, which before that was not allowed. Um, I think that all of this is needed. And I think before perhaps the culture was, let's not talk about it. We'll just like do as much as we can and let's not talk about where I think now we are. And I think that's why we're doing this podcast. And that's why these things like having conversations about everything is just really, really important because otherwise, you know, just as we kind of mentioned before, it kind of bubbles underneath the surface a bit. Um, so I think that in general to get it all out is like, you know, if you have a problem with somebody or, you know, why people are here, have a conversation about it and maybe not just bitch about it. Ooh, can I say that word? But like <laughs> have a conversation about I'm it. Keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> but also maybe even just try to like understand where they're coming from. I think that that's a lot of what we're missing here sometimes is just like compassion when anytime there's xenophobia, it's usually like you're, you know, enemy number one because they perhaps are taking away from something that you thought was yours or what have you, whether it be, you know, living in Singapore or what have you. So I think that's my take on it. Yeah. Um, Amanda, I'm curious about your take, because I mean, it's it's been uh, you just arrived like right before the pandemic. So I'm just curious to see if, you know, um, like, what are your thoughts about it? Um, yeah, no, you're right. I think it was an interesting time to arrive. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I think, as Melissa said, I think what's important is when you see these things, when you see a country and as people go through these things and you are living there um i think it's important to understand or try and see from their perspective you know so why these things are arising and you know i think it's also important to know that singapore has a really high percentage of expats um try to do a little bit of google research before this um podcast um and from 
from about 2018 to 2020, what the percentage has sort of, it's hovered between, what, between sort of 25 and 40, almost 41 percent? Uh, yeah, so yeah, uh, I mean, it's 40, high. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's really high. So you can kind of understand, right, um, sort of why there may be certain attitudes um, towards these people coming in and maybe staying, maybe not, and again, sort of the cultural attitudes that they themselves bring. Um, the pandemic was interesting because it brought a lot of the things that we've spoken about, you know, already to light. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is a good thing. I think it's so much more uh, productive, as Melissa said, to actually get these things out in the open and have discussions about them. Whereas I'm, I'm not sure, but I imagine I get the impression that before they weren't talked about so much. They were sort of somewhat taboo subjects, right? Sort of cultural hostility, racism, um, that sort of thing. They just didn't, you know, apparently just didn't exist in Singapore. At least that's the impression that Singapore was trying to present to the rest of the world. Um, on the other hand, we went through pretty intense circuit breakers. We're now in restrictions where you could only meet um, groups of two. So actually, you know, you're not actually interacting with as many people as you would otherwise exactly. Singapore, you know, Singaporean foreigner or otherwise. So, I mean, I don't know in a way has that further closeted us as expats, as foreigners. Well, yeah, I think it has. Um, and I think this is one of the biggest issues right now. Like a big part of social cohesion is to have like um, a forum or a space where we can all, you know, hang out and talk. And it doesn't have to be like a meaningful one. It's just sharing a meal or having a drink. And that's all it takes. Right. And I think what what the pandemic has done and, you know, what's happened over the last two years is essentially that's just been taken away for us. So, like, I like to think of myself as a fairly optimistic dude. But now I'm just like, you know festering in all this uh, you know in these very hostile online environments and you know it's really hard for me to step away from it so um yeah no this is absolutely like you know changing the way how we think of you know as a society before the pandemic but at the same time i i agree with you amanda in that a lot of these social rifts have been kind of swept under the carpet um of course it has been talked about there has been commentary and stuff but it hasn't like gotten away gotten um, bigger than the larger, more, um, you know, sociable environment that, you know, uh, that that used to be the case in Singapore. So questions of, you know, racism, xenophobia, and other social issues are generally, like, seen as, oh, yeah, it's a thing, but, you know, let's just talk about it later. Or let's, you know, deal with this, um, you know, some other time or something like that. So, yeah, I, I think the pandemic has just forced those out in the open. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm, I'm still not sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hopefully better. I mean, obviously, Parliament had like, how long was the conversation? 10 hours or something yeah, past yeah, midnight. They... they definitely needed their coffee for that conversation. <laughs> um, so really impressive. And hopefully that just brings about change. And it looks like they're already doing that. So um, they're funding this podcast. So thank you, Singaporean government. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really curious, like Melissa, Amanda, like, you know, since, you know, nativism, nationalism are not necessarily Singaporean phenomena, right? I mean, it's been gaining traction over this, over the last decade. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what's what's it like in the UK? And what's it like in uh, the US? Like, how does nativism manifest itself there? I'll let Amanda take this one. <laughs> I'll get into it in a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> Collecting my thoughts. Um, I think that no, I think that's that's an important point to make. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, the sort of social disparity we've seen in Singapore. We've talked about potential attitudes of unfriendliness, and I think it is really important to stress that this is something that is absolutely not exclusive to Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, f- coming from the UK, um, you know, I left um, just as, um, well, I've come back just as the country is sort of starting to deal with the fallout of Brexit, um, you know, and the sort of issues with workforce and supply chains, um, that that is really presenting. Um, and I think it really does bring back memories of, you know, those years ago where the Brexit vote was first announced and the general undercurrent um, that that presented. 
And so again, I think it's it's interesting because when you are speaking from that perspective as a native, if you will, um, as a citizen, um, don't you don't think about it in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. I certainly didn't. And I think definitely, you know, coming here, I'm sorry, coming to Singapore as an expat, as a foreigner, actually seeing people's attitudes towards people who are coming from abroad, um, and how they are accepted, that really made me reflect actually, you know, how we in the UK um, sort of treat and accept our foreigners, our immigrants, people who come from other countries. Um, I mean, yeah, but I mean, even Brexit aside, yeah, absolutely, there are, there are racial tensions that exist in the UK, of course. Um, there, there are issues of social inequality in the UK, absolutely, and you know, I'm sure that goes for almost any country. Um, so that that's also something that's important to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for sure. I'd like to answer that question too. So obviously, the American that I know um, is no stranger to having challenges with, you know, obviously racism, but also a very kind of like, you know. The rise of Trumpism brought out the worst of Americans, sadly, um, which I think was quite evident with, you know, you know, the death of George Floyd and so many other horrendous, you know, attacks on people of all different nationalities. And I think for me, part of the reason why I left America was just like, I'm I'm done with my country. (laughs) Like, it was just really upsetting to see like, or to hear my friends who are of different nationalities come to me with like these horrible stories of things happening to them. So I think what's really important here is when you do come to a different country or just in general, just try to understand the other person and, you know, just not, um, I just don't understand the hate that's behind some of these people. Of course, I understand like, yes, make sure that your country is taken care of, make sure that your uh, constituents are taken care of um, and, you know, that the, the country is running the way that it needs to be. But there doesn't need to be this sense of, if we let in foreigners who need help, like for instance, the border control and the people that were languishing at the borders in America or by America, um, you know, Mexico or what have you, like that doesn't need to happen. I'm sorry, there needs to be a better way of taking care of people, a humane way, a way that people are, you know, not gonna die from, you know, having these experiences. So I think in general, sure, I mean, yes, have pride in your country, and ensure that you know your people are taken care of but then also why not allow for other people to have you know what they don't wouldn't have in a different country um, we're a rich country here we're a rich country in America we have the ability to take care of these people and again I think it comes down to compassion and understanding that um, you know these these are people that they're not just they're not inanimate objects and I think that that's what's really missing sometimes when people have this sense of well if they come then I'm not going to get my due just desserts or whatever it may be. Um, so I think that that's, you know, people are people. And I think that that's really important when you are kind of coming out with that native, uh, nativism kind of aspect, I would say. Yeah, no, th- those are fair points, uh, Melissa. And I'm just kind of curious because it's like um, immigration is such a complex and difficult, you know, topic mm-hmm. to broach. I mean, it depends on various factors and, um, sometimes in the zodiac, from at least based on like what's going on, you know, it's just there's no rhyme and reason to uh, some some patterns. But at the same time, I do understand discomfort, and um, it's like so like what Amanda said, you know, forty percent of the population are not not Singaporean. Um, that's a significant number. That's a that's a culture disrupting number, you know, yeah. um, and that's the kind of thing where. Um, especially as a foreigner you're probably not as incentivized to uh you know uh assimilate because you don't have to when there's a significant number of people you yeah. know from of where you're from and all that there is definitely less of an incentive as it if it were the other way around so and i think people see that people sense it and there's an emotional response to it um and i think you know uh, a lot of times I do sense sometimes the local politicians here um, do not address it. So the uh, the, the rationale and the uh, you know ex- statements that are generally given out are like, oh, no, but, you know, the like foreigners are good for us economically. You know, they're bringing in, uh, you know, enterprises, business, et cetera. You know, we're part of the global stage, et cetera, et cetera. But they oftentimes just 
ignore the more emotional reasons for why people feel uncomfortable, and that needs to be accounted for. Um, it's good to see that uh, over the last couple of months, I think politicians and the government as a whole, they are trying to address this. They are trying to address the cultural and the emotional component of it. Um, so I think that's the that's the larger issue here. You know, like, of course, we can be a rich country, but then if the people feel a certain disconnect or um, if they see that, you know, people from the outside are, you know, not willing to um, extend a hand, um, it's it's really hard to stomach. So I'm, I'm, I'm starting to understand that more and more nowadays. Yep. I completely can see why that would be a challenge, right? I think in general what we need to do is to just really ensure, like moving forward, that these conversations continue to happen. So I think that now that the parliament has had this great conversation about race, what the new strategies that they will be doing to move things forward in a good direction, in the right direction we wanna go, I think that's important. However, I don't think that that addresses the social challenges that we're talking about, right? So I think in the community, I still, I'm gonna bring out this idea again. I love the idea of people that move to, as expats that move to Singapore, have a Singaporean ambassador. They get to know somebody that have maybe the same interests. It's something that they just, they meet with somebody for coffee once a month. I think that it's important just in general to meet people that are Singaporeans if you are an expat. So perhaps you don't work with Singaporeans. That's usually where, where you make your most friends. But I think just kind of going out of your comfort zone and just meeting different people, um, I think that that's huge. Because once you have that one friend, perhaps that you've never had somebody like that before and you're kind of friend group, it kind of opens your mind to what, like, wow, I've never thought of things that way. And I think that that's what we're missing with a lot of these social challenges is it's just, you know, they don't have that perhaps where they can't like say, oh, but I know Mark down the street and he's great. And <laughs> he's told me that he doesn't make this like crazy, you know, package that everyone supposedly has. And he just is working and living his life with his family. And that's all that anyone really wants to do when they move here. So I think that's a huge part of the social aspect of it. Other than that, it's really hard to enforce something like this though. Like how do you enforce culture is kind of integrating a bit more other than you know, sanctioning, you know, I, I, they're already kind of doing this with works when uh, at work, when you have the, um, the whole amount of foreigners compared it to a local like ratio that you have to meet before you could even, um, you know, give a position to somebody. So they are, I think already trying to do that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a hard one beyond my ambassador idea. I really don't have, and just like going out there and meeting people, um, in Singapore and kind of making yourself available. I think that, um, it can be challenging, but I think that as a person coming from a different country, you should make the effort. I think that that's what really is the key. Yeah. Amanda, any any thoughts on? Um, yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I love I love your ambassador idea. I think that that would work <laughs> so nicely. Um, and I think one challenge is that exists at the moment. Um, you know, it made me think about it when you talked about you know Mark down the street. Right. Like, I also think that a lot of expats um, or certainly a lot of them I know, um, and, and I'm guilty of this, too. We will live in certain areas. They're the areas that you know, where we do our research on our expat forums, um, where we look into moving to Singapore. There'll be a certain number of condos that are well known. There'll be certain areas of the city state that are well known. Right. And as a result, um, expats tend to live around other expats. Um, mm -hmm. So this whole idea of, you know, mark down the street, again, there's already this hurdle to that. Um, and I think going, going forward, um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's really just, I think the burden does fall mostly on pe the people who have come over from other countries. And I think that that's something that we've talked about in this session. And I think it's something that perhaps isn't talked about enough. I think there's a, there, there are growing discussions about how Singapore can be more welcoming to all different classes of foreigner. Um, and I, you can't see me, I use the air quotes because I don't, you know, I don't like talking about different classes of foreigner, but we, you know, we spoke about migrant workers and expats and, you know, the attitudes towards that. Um, I think there does also need to be more discussion about how, you know, when you're coming over, whether it be for two years or whether it be, you know, potentially for the rest of your life, um, 
you know, how you can make efforts to assimilate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think I don't, I, you know, I haven't come with any sort of clean cut sort of blueprint around how to do that. But I think that that actually more discussions on that is really important. Um, and actually, I think, you know, sort of multicultural nature of Singapore and the diversity of it in, in some ways actually almost works against it in that sense, right? So, you know, I've spent a bit of time in Beijing and you sort of know, you know, when you go to, one of the first things you do is learn Mandarin. Um, right. China's yeah. a bad example because China is obviously so huge and diverse. But again, you know, going to France, right? You know, I've worked in Paris and you go and there, there are certain things or like customs or cultures or whatever that you learn. Um, and one of them is, for example, that you learn to speak French. Mm-hmm. You know, Singapore has many different languages that are spoken. It has many different cultural communities. Right, the experiences of say, you know, the Tamil speaking community will be massively different from the experience of say the Malay speaking community. And so that in itself, if I'm a foreigner from wherever, from Germany, from the UK and I come into Singapore, okay, what 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 steps do I take? You know, how can I actually spread the message that I'm here and I'm not I'm not here to impose, I'm not here to sort of take anything away, as as Melissa said earlier. Um, I'm actually what I what can I do? to assimilate right like what can i do to actually make the process smooth for you as well right no i absolutely agree i think it's very important i think the onus should be on us as as foreigners i think it's very important and sometimes a lot of us tend to forget that you know it goes back to the whole notions of your know, expat playground and everything that 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 implies um so the idea is that you know it's easy living we don't have to put too much effort it's like, you know, the island is therefore our taking and all of that, you know, neo-imperialist garbage. But <laughs> um, at the same time, it's interesting that you talked about the whole language thing, right? So I think language is probably like the key part of signaling whether you have integrated or not in other countries. Like to take the example of France, great example. It's like if you speak French, nothing else matters. It's like clearly this person has put in the effort to you know, learn the language. In Singapore, it's actually different and it works like two ways, right? Number one, of course, there's a multitude of languages. And then number two, if I were to take the example of uh, what used to happen in the early part of, you know, the last decade, um, it's like a lot of Singaporeans were very angry when, you know, the foreign population doesn't speak English. So they'd be like, you're in Singapore, you better speak English. So that is also seen as a marker of localism, if you will. So um, it's like if they're talking to someone who's a cashier or someone who's a postman or someone who's a uh, you know, bus driver, and if they're not speaking um, English or Singlish, or, you know, uh, they'd be like, you're in Singapore. How did you get here in the first place? Right? So I think English has also become this kind of interesting um, language that works in Singapore, where it's like it is, on the one hand, a marker of uh, localism, and on the other hand, it's also, you know, something that expats take advantage of, and therefore not, uh, you know, learn about other cultures and languages. So. And what about Singlish? It's interesting you mentioned Singlish. Oh, yeah, no, so Singlish is, is uh, you know, it's something that, you know, Singaporeans are very proud of, and it's something that, uh, you know, it's brought up constantly as a clear marker of, of localism. And, um, uh, the thing is that, like, so whenever I try it, for example, my local friends tell me to, to just not. They'd be like, just don't, don't butcher the language, dude. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so I've become very careful and discerning with who I speak it with. Uh, my wife uh, my wife is Singaporean, and she just tells me not to just speak it. She's really just, just, just stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have just you tried? get the swing of it. I've definitely tried. So I just say auntie and uncle, and I feel like, okay, I've done my due diligence. That's my Singlish. Because I've tried saying law and like lay and may and all that to my um, colleagues, and they just like, they laugh at me. I'm like, that's not. <laughs> but I mean, that's fine. I can take it. Like, it's fine. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's fun. It's not uh, what I'm going to be speaking with, I guess. <laughs> No, I, think, I think it's really interesting because it's fascinating because a lot of the online forums, for example, you know, uh, they, they use English. So it's, it's really good to it's really interesting to see like those those lingual connections. And um, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy it I enjoy for the most part. Um, <laughs> can't, can't say that I'm an expert by any measure. <laughs> what it does do, though, what I will say about Singlish is I think that it is. And this is how I kind of view it is I feel like Singlish is this really lovely way of like burgeoning language to where it like mm. connects you to the person. It kind of like 
um, almost, what's the way, like, like you're more familiar with them when you use the term like lay, la, all of that. Do you know what I mean? Like it's more friendly, like no mm -hmm. law. Like it's like, instead of just mm -hmm. saying no, <laughs> which you would do in America, you say this and it's just, I feel like, like a lovely way to speak, I guess. And you think of it that way. Like it's a more kind of connecting language, if you will. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. That's a really good point, Melissa. I think there's that element of familiarity. You know, it's like, no la, just, just, you know. Stop your la, I just sounded Irish. I don't know where that came from. But. <laughs> like, how good is your Singlish, Amanda? Um, it's pretty terrible. A friend has got me a Singlish phrase book. Um. <laughs> oh, I have one too. Is it blue? Yay. Oh my gosh. Uh, Let me show purple. it to you. We'll have to, we'll have to compare. Rinda is laughing because I was giving it to him or to myself the last time I saw him. So is it this one? Which I highly recommend. Oh, wow. That one looks hardcore. That one looks hardcore. Mine, mine is less hardcore. It's, it's smaller, thinner, and I think has more cartoon illustrations. Ah, <laughs> yeah. okay. I, um, I, I like the point you made about the auntie and uncle thing, though. I think that's one thing definitely I've, I've sort of got, got sorted. And I think definitely being raised as part of an Asian family. That's something that comes very naturally to me. And I think it's quite interesting, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be out in a hawker market or wherever. And, um, you know, my husband, who is uh, British Caucasian, you know, once in a while, like, he'll use the auntie and uncle. And the response he gets from the Singaporean aunties and uncles is, I mean, it's heartwarming to behold. But, <laughs> but I mean, and it's definitely markedly different from coming from an Asian woman. I feel like coming from me, it's a bit like, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Show some respect. <laughs> and I think that's also something that's been quite interesting as well. Like, you know, seeing the attitudes towards, say, Caucasian expats. Um, you know, as opposed to, you know, so my experience as an East Asian expat. I think right. that is interesting as well. It really oh, is. Oh, that's, uh, that's, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, that's a whole like... other bogan. whole other can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the last question would be for you guys would be, um, like, what advice would you give to, to foreigners moving here? Like, uh, if someone were to move tomorrow and they would ask you, Melissa and Amanda, for help, advice, tips, tricks, um, you know, to, to navigate uh, life in Singapore. What advice think, would you give them? I think I would say pack your patience because I feel like what happens sometimes when you move to a different country is you just assume for some reason, you know you're moving somewhere else, but you just assume everything is going to work the same way from where you came from, if that makes sense. Like there's certain things too where you're just like, oh, well, why don't they just do it this way? So I think that in general, although I've had the opposite where I'm like, oh my God, like I love the cartoons on the MRT and it's so safe here. You know what I mean? But like in general, I think that there are some things to where we could get kind of... Um, just impatient about things and like why isn't it happening this, the way that I think it's going to um, so I also think that just remember that you're in someone else's home and behave that way like you're not in your home country so understand that you need to have a little bit more flexibility perhaps than you would have back at home um, and, I mean it just drives me nuts when you see people disrespecting other people because maybe their English isn't what they expect it to be or whatever um, it's just rudeness right but so I think that um, just have a little compassion I think that that's really important too and just try all the food, eat everything, eat the pineapple cakes, eat like everything at Hawkers. It's amazing, super inexpensive. Um, those people have probably been cooking longer than you've been alive, so have at it. <laughs> um, and just talk to people, talk to people all different backgrounds. I mean, this is definitely uh, really, it's a mixing pot. So you have so many different types of interesting people to chat with. So it's at your you know, benefit to do so. Um, yeah, so I'd say that. Thanks, Melissa. Um, I would say definitely push yourself out of your comfort zone. I'd say get out of your bubble. Um, you know, we, one of the first things that um, Singaporeans said to me when I first arrived in Singapore was, if you can't survive as an expat in Singapore, you can't survive anywhere. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, we laughed Good about point. it, but I think, you know, I think the truth is it, it is a very convenient place to live. You know, it's very clean, it it's very efficient. Um, it is possible to hide yourself away in an expat bubble because it's such a huge percentage of the population. It's very easy with this fantastic, diverse food scene to only eat the dishes that you're used to back home. Um, 
and they'll be just as delicious if not more than you experienced back home um, and you know I would say don't try not to do that right try not to get into that routine where you know you are stuck in this comfortable bubble of convenience um, get out explore um, there is so much more to Singapore I think than you know this crazy rich Asian <laughs> sort of very clean very sanitized um, sort of image that they've built that's only one side of it yeah, yeah. That, thanks Amanda um, I feel like I agree with all of these points but I'll perhaps probably provide some, a little more cynical advice um, I think the, the one thing that I would probably give advice the only other advice that I'd give to you know this foreigner who's coming in would be um, you know to, to understand social issues before mouthing off um, I feel like uh, Singaporeans are very proud people um, you know, they're very proud of their heritage, their culture, their history, their country. Um, and I think, you know, us haphazardly mouthing off opinions, you know, to the tune of, oh, but back in my country, it's better. Back in my country, mm. it's this and that and this, like really American rubs people accent. the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, this applies to people from my country, too. So, you know. <laughs> um, and God knows I've been guilty of it a couple of times. So it's, it's something that you kind of learn the hard way, too. Um, so I think it's, you know, people are very proud of their country. And I think the one thing to note is that, uh, you know, there's this general um, thing that Singaporeans love to say is that, you know, Singaporeans love to complain. Um, and it's it's like it's like it's like a thing. It's like their way of, you know, making fun of themselves. So it's like Singaporeans complain about this and that and that. But God forbid <laughs> you start doing it. <laughs> you know? That's when the tides turn. Right. So I will say that, you know, just be a little more even tempered when it comes to criticism of the country, at least at the first. I think there is value in learning about issues and understanding issues. And once you have established that you've lived here long enough and you kind of have a stake in the country, so to speak, that's when, you know, you're in a position to talk about it. Now, I understand that this comes across as slightly um, not positive advice, but I think it's very important to respect the, uh, you know, like how Singaporeans feel about things and not just jump in, you know, just because they're doing the same thing. So, um, yeah, that's probably just my take on it. Agreed. Yeah, mm, <laughs> I could have signed that. So, um, so before we uh, before we uh, you know uh, wrap up this episode, um, do you folks have any final thoughts? Maybe things that we haven't covered, or uh, maybe something that you'd like to highlight? Uh... Actually, there's one thing that I think that I didn't say that I think is really important um, with regards to safety here as a woman. I have to say, like Singapore, bar none, it, it's just such an amazing feeling not to have to worry about things like that here. Um, it's just coming from America, like you're always have to, you have to look around, especially in like larger cities. And I have to say like, um, having that is just like, it's been a huge weight and me and my girlfriends talk about it all the time. It's a huge weight that's been lifted from me that you just don't have to worry about it. I mean, in that way, it's a utopia, honestly. So, um, yep. And then just, just come. Singapore is amazing. <laughs> we have these challenges, but for the most part, like just, and you come over here and enjoy the ride because people are so lovely for the most part. Yeah, I mean, the challenges are part of the journey, right? It's yep. <laughs> and it's the journey worth taking. Um, all right, so on that note, uh, I want to thank uh, Melissa. Thank you so much for being part of this. And uh, Amanda, thank you so much for your inputs and thoughts and, uh, you know, uh, and talking me. about your experiences here. Um, before, uh, I, I recall that, you know, you are the editor of the Southeast Asia Globe. Could you perhaps tell us a little bit about that? Yes, um, so I started about a month ago as mm -hmm. uh, the editor at the Southeast Asia Globe. Um, we're a publication that covers social, political, lifestyle, environmental issues um, all across the region. Um, so building a base in Singapore, I'm actually their main Singaporean correspondent. Um, mm -hmm. So always learning um, and, uh, and always finding new things to talk about um, and write about. Excellent. I think, you know, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in Singapore. Uh, and so, you know, I think this is, there's enough grist for <laughs> the mill. Um, no, thanks so much, Amanda. And uh, on that note, uh, Melissa, Amanda, I want to thank you both um, to everyone listening to this podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and, you know, the opinions here. Um, if you have any thoughts, if you have any feedback, if you have any hate mail, please, you know, slide into my DMs. 
<laughs> and happy to address them. Um, so once again, we are available on you know uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're also on YouTube. So check it out. And uh, as I said, if you have any thoughts, please feel free to reach out, and we're happy to have more conversations around it. Um, all right. So uh, uh, Melissa and Amanda, thank, thank you. you so much. <laughs> thank you. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>